the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday's sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. I'm here with my IT guy who is being very particular just now about my my microphone placement. Yes, this is Jim, and I was only being helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't understand this (laughs) passive-aggressive. I mean, you're supposed to be the IT person, so you should set up the mic as it should be, and then I should just be able to saunter in and and sit down and, like, talk. I shouldn't have to, like, tighten my mic. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That's fair. I'll take it. It's not really fair. I I can tighten my mic. I'm just kidding. Um, Welcome, though. We're we're here on a Tuesday. Is it a Tuesday? Days are starting to blur together. I don't know what it is exactly, but (laughs) maybe springtime with, like, every day being the same lovely weather i don't i don't know here i'm talking about the weather it's just it's just stuff um (laughs) sorry (laughs) i needed i I, yeah are are you okay i'm not okay (laughs) i haven't transitioned my brain yet okay brain is transitioning here we are Mm -hmm. post-morteming sunday um the Sunday postmortem, the first thing was the big Eric Mitchell announcement, your work spouse is divorcing you. Let's call it an amicable parting of ways. <laughs> I that... mean, if you're going to use the term work spouse, which you have been using mm-hmm. for a while, I will say probably almost all of the nine years. Yeah. Um, but that must be, that's a that's a big change. We, we do love Eric and Carrie. And so sometimes or change can be hard Um it can be it can be really hard it can be it can be good it seems like um the path in the pathway this sermon kind of felt like a a good connection point um to something like people you love moving on yeah so for those that didn't hear that part of the service we announced during prayers of the people that eric mitchell who has been my partner in crime here at liberty collingswood for nine years now crazy is moving to Winston-Salem to take an executive pastor call there uh, in order to be closer to family. So their entire extended family on both sides, Eric and Carrie, is all in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it just got harder and harder for them to live so far away from them. So our loss is their gain, and we'll see what God has in store for us as we think about future staffing from here. Right, but um, but some of that aligns with the the context of setting the context for this particular sermon sorry if you heard that phone ding did not have my post-production will you though no (laughs) i don't i also don't have my outline here today but yeah our first section (laughs) calling it stormy monday um being the the context setting what is the the context the part of the context was you knew that eric was making his formal announcement about Mm -hmm. this. I did feel like, personally, that that sets this framework of retrospective thought. But for you, what was the context of your week? Well, it was, so so the connection with the Mitchells moving on was a coincidence, although 
I could see how some of the themes, sermons, and topic or and topics of the sermon would would connect with the family making a decision to move into mm-hmm. that uh, a different area. So it fits for sure. At, at the broadest level, it was good to get back to Genesis sermon series. So, and as you know, I've been gone a lot <laughs> lately over the past yes, yes, you have past month, month and a half, and so to have a full week and a half of regular sermon prep from the book of Genesis. So no travel, no special services. It was just kind of fun to get back to the meat and potatoes. And that's one of the my favorite things about being a pastor in a local church, just the meat and potatoes of expositing scripture week after week. I will say at the same time, though, that this has been, I whenever I map out a sermon series, there are different sermon texts that I fear for different reasons, some because they're really difficult subjects, others like this one is the passage was just so freaking long. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned, I think before I read the scripture reading, that this was, even with taking out about a third of the 25 to 33% of the chapter, it was the longest longest text text I've ever preached from. And what started out as dread like when i'm going through the commentaries Uh and it's just verse after verse after verse i i think i fell into a pretty good headspace where i midway through the sermon prep said i'm gonna treat this as a fun challenge and i want to do justice and honor the length of the story i mentioned at some point after the first point on sunday that with biblical narrative, when the narratives stretch out and are made super, super long, like the chapter, Genesis chapter 24 of Isaac meeting Rebecca, it didn't have to be that long, but it was stretched out so that we could appreciate the, mm-hmm. the flow, the meandering, the step-by-step of the sermon coming together with Rebecca, then they're going back to, to Isaac. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I didn't want to over tear down the sermon text because I wanted us to get a feel for that sense of unfolding journey. And this is where I was praying and then also I think where the emphasis of the story is under God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So right. if if God really is orchestrating our lives as we see so clearly in Genesis 24, God bringing Rebecca to Isaac, what would it look like if we would live into the fact that God is in sovereign control of all things, all the more in our own lives. Right. And that message, yeah, for sure, seeing that. I think that meta commentary of being able to listen to a longer text, and you were mentioning, like, this is the difference between the era in which it was written the, gener- the yeah. in, in our modern era, and I think even the, like, hyper era like if i look at my own span of life how like my attention span has got i don't even watch tiktok (laughs) (laughs) and yet my attention span has gotten narrower and narrower and so lists from the listener perspective um it was good to be framed as this is going to be the longest ever it's it wasn't as hard to engage with as when you're reading a text of genealogy for example so i think it's sunday (laughs) Um, but I think as that meta commentary for people listening to this podcast even to have to self-examine like can I listen and and take in a message from from a longer text anymore like just written 
no I mean you're listening to a podcast but it's interactive kind well not really but it's not the same as like this just listening to one person's story and not for the sake of like falling asleep or (laughs) or being sitting in a class and pretending you're listening I mean maybe maybe the people who are sitting I mean in the in the classroom I think professors are encouraged to keep it interactive and turn to your partner and start talking about this question um so just on that real quick our mindset yeah modern mindset the I was listening to a podcast when I was running earlier this morning church podcast where the host was interviewing a pastor about changing landscape of ministry blah 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 but they were talking about how how do you do church when attention spans for people are on the continual decline mm-hmm. they didn't really have any answers but right. they just said this is a problem I, in middle school and high school one of my favorite shows on cable was on Comedy Central and it was called Short Attention Span Theater uh-huh. and, and what it was was Precursor the, it was a half hour show that gave compilations of different stand up comedians uh-huh. and, and they would feature one a comedian's bit which may be three yeah. or four minutes and then they'd go go to, to a different one, one which, which was actually a great way of me being exposed to a lot of different stand up comics too so it was a win win for everybody but short attention span theater where the clips were three or four minutes seemed incredibly quaint and old fashioned based right. on how yeah. we continue to TikTok to, to shorten. 30 second. Yep. Yeah, it's all Here true. we go. But you're sitting here listening to a 45 minute podcast, sometimes less. Yeah. So maybe, hopefully, that uh, we can train our brains to go even further. I don't know if, I, if my brain is a lost cause, but. Here, here we are, the this. context, our modern day context of like not being able to listen. And then you mentioned, um, we'll get, we'll jump into this and muddying the waters and so mm-hmm. on. But you, the context of our choice, yeah. our, our modern day mm-hmm. sense of choice. But yeah. let's move on to... Uh, this is present to the Lord's Sun Studios. <laughs> Maybe I do need the printed copy. I think, anyway, it's tested. Yeah. Um, we're recording in a different location, so, so it's it's not my tiny little home office, but we're at Holy Trinity here. Um, different angle. And, yeah, tell me about this passage and why you decided to plunge in and not tease it apart. Yep. Not just, like, find the couple of verses that would be representative of the story. And mm-hmm. uh, We've talked a little bit about it, but tell me about this yeah. passage more. To, to talk more, and then also to mention something that we'll go back to in Muddying the Waters, that... Sometimes we've talked about here, um, when I construct sermons, the, the fallen condition focus, the FCF as it's been called in preaching circles, sometimes it arises organically from the passage itself. Other times I treat a sermon passage as a puzzle piece that has certain contours to it, but then I bring in an external sin, an external struggle, an external issue in contemporary society that I hope fits the contour and uh, as a different puzzle piece that fits the contour so that the passage itself still speaks to that even if that issue is not in the passage itself. This is one of the Sundays where making or choosing wisely was not I think front and center in this passage but Mm -hmm. it felt like an appropriate enough thing to marry to it based on the themes that came out of the passage itself and yeah part of the whole idea of the sermon series and we've been this genesis sermon series has been going for a while now we started two falls ago 
part of the whole idea was going slowly through this book of the Bible, not rushing through and letting the scriptures speak. Mm -hmm. And that case in point was this past Sunday. And hopefully people that heard the sermon would appreciate that. If I had just taken a couple verses from the beginning and the end, even if the main action would have been the same, we would have lost largely the point of the passage because mm -hmm. the point of the passage is the step-by-step -step journey of the servant. That God is right, and ordaining God is orchestrating each of the all of these things. It's not just the happy ending for Isaac and Rebecca at the very end, but it's it's the journey, not the destination, it, 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 at say. least in this case. And right, every step of the way, the servant is relying upon God, praying to God, worshiping God, waiting to see if God will fulfill uh, his hope and Abraham's hope that, that he would find a wife for Isaac in this foreign country. And the, the verse that stands out to me there is verse 21 when he's praying, hey, is, is Rebecca the one? Bruce Springsteen song, she's the one, born to run 1975. And when he's waiting to see if God is directing him specifically to Rebecca, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So there, there's that, that pregnant pause of anticipatory expectation that ends up being fulfilled. So, mm -hmm. so, so we have the servant as God is sovereign over all things. I, I gave not only a definition of sovereignty, but the last couple of times I've talked about sovereignty and God's control of all things, I, I didn't do what I did in this sermon very briefly, giving a little bit of, of an apologetic. So mm -hmm. you heard me disclaimer, hey, not, not all Christian traditions theologically hold this view. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can still be a Christian, but not affirm the sovereignty of God in the way that occurs in the Reformation or Reformed tradition like I do, but I think this is the best way to understand what the scriptures reveal about God. And I mentioned, I don't want to worship a God that's surprised by bad things happening. Right. And then also, I'd much rather have a God who, when I pray to God, will either answer yes or no, mm -hmm. as opposed to I'm working on it, and I'll do my and, and I'll do my best. Uh, Just let our kids hear when we when they ask us for something, right? Because we're not God, <laughs> and and that's that's sort of the, that's sort of the whole point. If if God is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, surely He's in control of all things, which does raise questions about free will. In what ways is human will free versus not about evil in the world? And yeah, so there's there's cans of worms in multiple directions, but I but I do think that's what the Bible teaches as far as sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And it's not just this abstract theological category, but we see it operative practically in this story as right. a sovereign God directs the steps of the servant. So you have the servant who's deeply dependent upon God. I, I don't imagine them that you've seen the Robert Duvall movie that I that I mentioned. I barely have heard the name Robert Duvall. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Famous old actor. And yeah, so just depending upon God every step of the way. And then the flip side, uh, I wish I would have been able to take more time to talk about Rebecca. The sermon was already on the little bit too long side already, but but it is striking just how decisive and action-oriented Rebecca is when we meet her in this story. So she's all, all those, subject of all of those verbs, she's the one that says, okay, I'm going now. And 
especially for a woman in that context, she's just this this powerhouse. And as the Genesis story will move forward from here, just like pretty much everybody else in the Bible, she'll have a mixed record as far as things that she did well, but then also did not do some mm-hmm. some things well. That that's everybody in the Bible, but. Rebecca bursts on the scene here with a with a bang. Right. So lots of frames to the frame of God's sovereignty or God's moving through the story, and then all these characters um, kind of walking walking their steps. Um, yeah. There's a lot of connection points here. I think. Yes. Um, can we move to muddying the waters? Can I give a couple quick hits interpretation wise? Sure. What were what we were do? you what were you looking at or what? particular part. So, so these are things that I did not go into, uh, but just to mention here. Director's cut. One of them, commentators and scholars, <clears throat> Jewish and Christian, for generations have been intrigued as to the fact that the, serma, the servant is not named. Mm. And it would seem that for somebody who was doing this much, doing a ton of stuff uh-huh. here in this chapter, Granted, this is the only chapter where, where he appears, uh-huh. uh, but he is the head. It says in verse 2 of 20, chapter 24, he is the head servant. Right. So why on earth doesn't this guy get a maybe he didn't want name? Maybe he didn't want to be, he didn't want his name in so it. So humble. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, so different options. Nobody really knows for sure. One was, or one is, it universalizes the servant. Uh-huh. In a way, hey, this is not just for this one person to walk so dependently upon God, but this can be our story too. That's kind not that's not more, any, anywhere else in yeah. Um, that's not anywhere else the, in text, right? Also, no. Uh, also, the servant is unnamed, so that the emphasis is not on the servant, but on God is the one that's driving the action. Sure. Or, and or I should say, maybe. We're meant to understand that this servant is a functionary of Abraham, and so mm-hmm. it's really Abraham acting who by proxy is searching out this the, this wife for Isaac. No, nobody knows for sure. For, I could for, see for sure, but just kind of kind of interesting. Uh, two other quick things, and then one final comment. The uh, uh, there is some question as to Isaac in the end of the story, so. It's a potential corollary if Rebecca was this powerhouse of action and activity. Uh, is there a critique of Isaac's passivity in in this story? So it's Abraham that commissions a servant to go find mm-hmm. Isaac, a wife, and then also it's Rebecca that's making all of these efforts to like decisions. But mm-hmm. then Isaac only appears at the very very end of a long story. And he's just kind of like, okay, yeah, looks this good. is great. <laughs> this checks out. So who who knows for sure, but 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 there could be an implicit critique that, including the possibility that Isaac uh, should have been the servant. Is, is, is sort sort of like uh, for for those that are watching Succession right now, um, how Roman and Kendall are no. Logan Roy, the sons are not the father, so 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 Isaac is, is no Abraham. Isaac is no Abraham. That 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 could be another thing too. Finally, interpretive wise, in verse fifty of the story, Laban, who's Rebecca's sister in Bethuel, the father, 
responding to the retelling of the servant saying how he came to meet Rebecca and how, hey, this, this looks like God is working to cause Rebecca to be Isaac's wife. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. There, there's a question starting here and later on, where is Laban as far as being a worshiper of Yahweh, the, the one true God? And he's probably not a follower of God here or later, and he acts pretty pretty badly towards Jacob after this when he's mm-hmm. switching back and forth between Rachel and Leah and try, tries to swindle Jacob into staying with him as long as he can. The There are some people that wonder, is, is this sarcastic? Is it a true statement of... Uh, God really being in charge here if in fact Laban is not a worshiper of God I I came to the conclusion and other commentators said this too if Laban is not a true follower of God it doesn't disqualify the statement from being true and in fact it's all the more striking if Laban who is not a worshiper of the true God mm-hmm. is still, still comes to confess hey this is undeniable and yeah we can't we can't assail you one way or another because obviously God's at work here. So it it's the uh, kind of like the, or who knows, the faith of the centurions with with Jesus on the cross, but mm-hmm. the whole idea, surely this was the son of God mm-hmm. by somebody who had just crucified. So, so it's the, uh, not just those inside the covenant family, but outside. There's something that recognizes. Like, yeah, that, that recognizes God at work. Finally, and before we move on, I couldn't find a great way to get to Jesus crucified and resurrected in this story. Shocking. So I, I was disappointed that the fallback is just saying this happened in the Old Testament and then we know that Jesus is the mm-hmm. center of the story. That's kind of Ooh, what I did. Helen Wolf's challenge. Can uh, you look at this text and find where Christ yeah, I, I usually crucified. like more intriguing ways to, to get there. But I just said, hey, this continues the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant, covenant, of course, is fulfilled in Jesus crucified and resurrected. So I can do better. <laughs> nice work. It does seem like the text has, uh, there's lots of excavation there to, to, to chew on. So it's fun to work on. Interesting stuff. Yep. Um, lots of mysteries I didn't even see until you brought them out. That's because my attention span is gone. So I, I couldn't, like, tear them apart myself. But that's good practice. Good, good um, Backstage with the servant. Here we are. That's why we're here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially with the text that long, there's less that, less detail that I can go into with some of those interpretive right. too. But anyway. So muddying the waters. We are tie- tying this uh, story to um, our own lives or the way that God works yeah. here. What was the big picture frame for you? It was the, like, the choose wisely was kind of the frame or the... Yeah. Counter frame. Right. So the 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 gumbo out of which that that question arose in my mind was, hey, the story emphasizes the sovereignty of God. We see in the servant deep dependence upon God as he's doing something difficult with the outcome uncertain, at least from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. And all of the commentaries emphasis just how decisive Rebecca is. And that was sort of the the ideas floating around when I started thinking about, hey, in the present, we struggle with choosing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Paralysis. also right. there's 
couldn't we benefit as modern people to lean into a God that's truly sovereign mm-hmm. over, over all things? And just tried to, tried, tried to make it work from, from there. And hopefully people could, can relate to paralysis of choice as, sure. as an idea. Years and years ago, I think I mentioned the example of Amy's Omelette House. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't been there in a while, actually. Maybe they've cut down their menu, but, but you remember just how daunting the 300 I mean, omelets. Yeah, I like choices. <laughs> what? Wait, let's interrogate that. Amy's Omelette House, I do feel like, I don't I don't have a problem with the menu that has like a kizzlin and choices. I, okay. I feel like I can read a menu better than I could read a, a long menus. chunk and I can extrapolate what, what I really want. Anyway, so it, the analogy didn't work for me. However, right. I am constantly paralyzed by choice. So thank you. <laughs> currently, currently it's replacing my stove. The, but <laughs> if it's yeah, so if it anyway, it, the the idea resonated. I believe that the idea would resonate to people who are listening. Yeah. Um, and then your uh, further categorization of the pinball between being told you choose nothing, you control it, everything is genetically determined, yeah. uh, determined by ethnography and demographics and uh, parents' parental control or whatever, yeah. um, versus you can choose any way, which does seem like very distinctly American. Um, it's an interesting pinball to have to like flip between and also to like think about in terms of both our current life and the choices that we're facing mm-hmm. and then this this passage um yeah yeah so yeah let's, let's talk about that a little bit more that that pinball the twin messaging that we get culturally you control nothing but you can choose anything mm-hmm. and i think part of my calling as a pastor in the season of life in the world is to trust that if the biblical story is true life makes the most sense and works best when we live into that story and life is less coherent satisfying works as well if we're living out uh, other stories Mm -hmm. we're in in some sort of matrix with glitches i actually finished read a book over the past month or two where it was by emily st john Mandel, who was the author of Station Eleven that became apparently a really good TV series on, on HBO. Another science, literary science fiction-y book a little bit, mm-hmm. where uh, Sea of Tranquility, a book that she wrote after Station Eleven. And the idea is, are we living in a simulated reality? Mm-hmm. And how people start to realize that is they see glitches. And right. And all of a sudden, so if we're sitting here in May of 2023, all of a sudden... I'm looking at UM, but I see some like somebody dressed in like super old clothes from centuries before, and it's not mm-hmm. you. But then it glitches back to you, sort, right. sort of thing, and people start to pull. Sci-fi at the thread. is great. Yeah, s- s- start to to pull at that thread. It's it's for me, or not just for me, but for and other ministers and whoever else, to unpack the undertow that we can feel when, if we're living out all of these secular narratives, there are going to be those glitch points where all of a sudden we realize, wait a second, maybe this is not working. Maybe this doesn't add up. And one of those glitch points mm-hmm. potentially is the twin messaging of you control nothing but choose everything. Mm-hmm. How do both of those things work? And I think it just ends for a lot of us or the the 
unraveling is that we feel disaffected, we feel fatigued, we feel lonely, we feel cynical, we feel pessimistic, because all of the choices that we're told that we can and should actualize, most of them are illusory, and so we really are powerless at the end of the day, even as our agency continues to, to be amplified in, 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 in so many different ways. And hopefully by identifying a glitch like that, people can trust the biblical story more fully. So you, mm-hmm. so, so you have that pinballing and the, the paralysis of choice. And, and I was going to say, before you copped to actually have with, <laughs> it's one of it's, my biggest it, crises it, like my biggest crises not just, just not amy's just not amy's almost house the, here, here's here's how i would summarize it about you and i know you love being summarized and put into put, put into boxes but i think it's representative of uh, of a lot of people you like <laughs> i also don't like to be representative of lots of people <laughs> right, yeah this is just running the table you you like choices, but you don't like choosing. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is hopefully I didn't say. No, no, it's it's true. Horrible about you, but 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 I think that that's a lot of us where mm-hmm. uh, we like choices, and if we feel like we don't have a full cadre of choices before us, there's something wrong and. Or why, why don't I have more optionality? Because that's what life right. is all about. But then also, act, like, actually pulling the trigger on something and saying we're going to go in this direction it's more is, is really difficult. But if God is sovereign, either way, the pressure's off, where we can choose wisely but not perfectly, depend upon God. And then also, and this might seem paradoxically on the surface, but... I think it's we see it in Genesis 24 with the decisiveness of Rebecca. It's a false understanding of the sovereignty of God if we'd say, well, if God's in charge of everything, I'm just going to do nothing because mm-hmm. none of it matters. Right. And as we see the biblical picture of sovereignty still forward, under the sovereignty of God, we're actually empowered like never before to make choices mm-hmm. and do things and build things and be courageous and be bold because there's a universe with a purpose in it and a future that's certain for us. And so let's both be a servant where we're depending upon God step by step, but then also Rebecca where we're able just to say, hey, we're, we're going to do this. Because Jesus is crucified and resurrected, that, that means that, yeah, we're going to mess up sometimes, and that's going to be okay too. Not that we should mess up on purpose, because even when we make sinful choices— we trust in the grace of Jesus to to redeem our our, our sin. Right. And, I find that really freeing. That I, idea that God, through Scripture, uses uses sinful choices also. So uses the not right, not perfect choice. So that if you choose the wrong stove for your kitchen, yeah. it's really okay. Like in the in right. the grand scheme of things, um, and in this case. Uh, I don't know, even choosing a spouse. I've been watching Indian Matchmaker and yep. Jewish Matchmaker on Netflix as much, as well as other junky yeah. dating reality TV shows. But right. something about matchmaking relates to this cultural sensibility of choice that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or in the anger household is where matchmaking to, our children to, to be in college <laughs> admissions season in different right, ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey. 
you don't need to choose your perfect college because there isn't one. Right. And, and you're going to be... You might not get into it anyway. You're going to do great wherever it is. Yeah. Even if it's the wrong one, the quote-unquote wrong one. Yeah. Um, God will use that for purposes, his purposes. So. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, were you listening towards the end of the sermon when I mentioned um, uh, somebody from our first church that said, are you absolutely... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That was that was so it. I I said it as a funny story, but that was a Actually, pretty rough yeah, uh, conversation. Period of church leadership. Um, for me. Or we could say the like I, I didn't really want to lock into our relationship, you and me. I wanted to like keep my choices open. That's true. <laughs> you kept wanting to lock in. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Helen, you should know that one of Emily's talking points in college was I would tell people Emily is the one and Emily would come back and say, people have lots of ones. There's there's not just one, the one for someone. Still believe that. Okay. (laughs) Rachel and Isaac. (laughs) Servant could have found someone else. One little Bruce Springsteen tidbit about the song "She's the One." Great song, overplayed and con- it, it's in the current set list that I have major qualms about. You can read my blog about that. But the only song that Bruce has ever released on any of his records in mono, as opposed to stereo, because he wanted more of a vintagey throw up, throwback. That was sound on that on that. Then uh, decided that wasn't a great idea and stopped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are we? Can, can I say one more thing with money sure. and words, and then we'll go. On. So, so I did mention in the sermon that I wanted to talk a tiny bit longer during the podcast about how emphasis and weight of personhood has migrated over the centuries from mind, body, soul to will uh, to to choice, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think that actually disadvantages us as people where if we think the most important thing about us is what we choose or, or how if you choose wrong how, how we choose the, it's it's a distorted view of human mm-hmm. personhood so if, if you look at and this is some philosophy stuff and I, I should disclaimer here I'm out of date with philosophy when Josiah last term in college had me read some drafts of his philosophy papers all of the scholars that he was interacting with came and published after I did my college degree. So I'm woefully out of date, but hopefully history of philosophy hasn't changed too much. But so Plato, Aristotle, ancient ethics in the Greco-Roman world were about virtues and habits of soul and not just soul, but also body. So the mens sana and corpore sano idea, the sound mind in a sound body. But as we came into the modern period, thinking about ethics again, the emphasis was less about cultivating a life of virtue, but instead, hey, how do we, the the weight of ethics is what you choose, which is a huge part of it. So are we maximizing the greatest good for, for the greatest number? And then somebody like Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, uh, also located the weight of ethics on a certain sense of duty that can be generalized and I don't need, I don't need, need to go into that but the whole idea is what you what you choose and mm-hmm. it was also Kant that gave a view of reality that radicalized the perspective of the human subject where we have no idea what happens 
in reality reality, but all we know is how I reconstruct my impressions of reality in my own mind based on how I choose to do so. And that was 1700s, and since then there's just more and more emphasis on the decisiveness of the subject where existentialist philosophy, Camus, Sartre, etc., uh, the whole mantra in the 20th century. You're just kind of. <laughs> I was going to say right this is like Professor Jemager and I am. I am. I've already. <laughs> you checked out. I've lost. You're on to barbed cover tunes. The, the the whole idea. If you're an existentialist, being is becoming. That that's their catchphrase, and it's less about who you are, but more about who you are choosing to be in the present. So it's less about being, more about becoming. And so that was 20th century, and everything has just been amped up since then. And it's just who you are is who you're choosing to be in a given moment, which to me is another one of those glitches where that's an incredibly unstable way to construct human personhood. It is, but it is also better than like being told you're a surf and you're gonna stay a surf, or any yes. any other box that you might be putting someone into. So yeah, um, I know that there's. I, I ultimately agree with your point, but I'm just the <laughs> the pendulum swings, but the the swing it's coming from was not exactly awesome yeah. either. And hopefully, I, I mean, I'll use the. You'd be language. a farmer. You'd I'll, be a farmer. <laughs> you had use, to like be what yeah, your family I'll, was. I'll, I'll use the language. Of you would be such a great farmer. And, uh, <laughs> when, when, uh, yeah, the Greco-Roman world is not the world of the scriptures. So there were definite downsides to that worldview, including ethics, metaphysics. Uh, but there are both ways that life here in the West has developed in uh, modes that are very. Uh, very happy and good, but then others, not not so much. Um, but, but but I was intrigued to say, and I didn't read this from anywhere, but I think it's true, uh, until the 20th century, what do you want to do when you grow up, yeah. is, uh, was not a common question. Right. Which again, I want to I want to be the one who says also that the, that's actually a positive thing yeah. in most test cases. It's just that we we can like swing it a little bit too far and become um, par like paralyzed by making the wrong yeah. choice, like you're saying. Wheels within wheels, like pendulums within mm -hmm. pendulums. And just to be clear as well, when our kids were younger and they and they would say, "Daddy, you want to ask me what I want to be when I grow up?" Uh -huh. I, I don't like slap them down or, or <laughs> tell them to shut up. With, yeah. with your modern questions. Yeah. Those are fun conversations to have, um, obviously. I'm, not a, tell your I'm girls, not a monster. Tell your girls they have to be secretaries. Yikes. <laughs> um, okay. We, we were told uh -huh. uh, one, one of uh, the deepest eye rolls that Emily I've ever seen you give when another mom has told you something was years ago uh, with two-year-old Jesse. Uh, there's another mom that told you she'll make a she'll make a great cheerleader one day. Oh my gosh! And I could see I could see the pit of fire <laughs> boiling. Anyway, 
I wouldn't. Yep. Like an Let's keep going. Um, bar band cover tunes. Mm-hmm. We had you. You did a three in one with Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Indiana Jones all in one. Yeah. Indiana Zeitgeist. Jones and the Last Crusade. Hero's um, Journey, Choose Wisely, is a is a thing. Is a common theme. I I actually searched a little bit more for other examples, specific examples. I couldn't find them, and I just decided. I think they're everywhere. I gotta, I gotta like preach they're so everywhere that no one's like commenting on them. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, so I, I Mr. Googly failed me a little bit, but there is that you know cardinal example from the Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm scanning. Didn't have a ton of other references in part because the sermon text itself was so long i didn't want to also come into the pulpit with this giant list of other quotations to read Uh so we had heidelberg catechism question and answer 27 about the providence of god which is one of my favorite statements in classic magisterial reformation confessions because it's very practical and winsome saying that, hey, all of the good, mentioning good things and bad things that happen in our lives specifically, and saying that they don't come to us by chance, which is a nod coming into the modern world, but instead we receive these things all by God's fatherly hand. Yeah, it's a great one. Yep. And then I mentioned briefly Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good uh, to those who love God, and they're called according to his purpose. And your Robert Duvall movie, The Apostle. I haven't heard of. Yeah, let me. Uh, I'm gonna keep keep talking. I want to look uh, up when that. Your came. James Harden quote, which I'm sure you you just can't help yourself right now. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I'm I'm a preacher, not a prophet, but I was actually quite prophetic. Shocking! How how did threw that James happen? James Harden under the bus, uh-huh. and mere hours later. Uh-huh. James Harden threw himself under the bus and threw up all over the basketball court. So I, I stand by that. <laughs> and then a Grandma Jessie's Bible. Oh, yeah. Um, T&P, Trusted and Proved. Yeah. Good quote. The Apostle came out in 97. I remember watching it um, in our apartment on Farragut Street in West Philly. Do you remember the weird video story at the end of it? it yeah, it was, a, right, the so, drug lot. Yeah, and then... Yeah, watched it on a Monday. I would just check out a video and on my day off. But not from the back, the back room. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, I feel I was thinking of something and then I, I lost it. Oh, well. Go on. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, any Helen Wolves? No Helen Wolves. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, uh, we did get... Uh, so, so nothing came into the postsundayblues at gmail.com box, but Helen Wolfavon texted me to say that she also was a Monty Python and the Holy Grail fan. Oh, right, right, back right. To a couple weeks ago. I, yeah, you really can't genderize movies, like, and movie preferences. In, well, maybe you can. Fast and the Furious, are there any women out there who like that franchise? Helen Wolf's right in. Lady Wolf's right in. That's the, what, that's the, like, genre I don't know about. Um, that was random. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of that. There, anyway, I listened to too many random podcasts. I did fi- find like what my comment was. Okay. I was I was noting that like you didn't add the Mother's Day connection to the Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Like I thought that that was going to be oh. the direction you went in when you read it. I guess I could have, but I didn't. <laughs> um. 
I think that's it. What did we say at the end? How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Well,